It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome, Sandy. Thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. And you still like me or you you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. (laughs) I'm a musician. I can't help it. Uh, Longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth. In America, wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. Now to the U.S. and President Joe Biden today address the nation. This speech on the American soul was delivered at Independence Hall in Philadelphia and it was the most divisive, hate-filled and fallacious speech. This is the worst speech I think I've ever heard from a US president. Biden's hate speech perfectly matched the dystopian aesthetic. Far from unifying the country, the president is keen to paint half of America as filled with extremists who want to destroy democracy. To be a nation of hope and unity and optimism or a nation of fear, division and of darkness. MAGA Republicans have made their choice. They embrace anger. They thrive on chaos. They live not in the light of truth, but in the shadow of lies. Can't you feel the unity there? And what's that with that sinister backdrop? Of course, it wouldn't be a Biden speech without outrageous lies. This is how he describes the American economy, which is in recession. And today, America's economy is faster, stronger than any other advanced nation in the world. We have more to go. And of course, no Biden speech is complete without the leader of the free world looking a little dazed and confused. But I've got to say, I prefer the incomprehensible gibberish we often get from Joe Biden compared to the dangerous, divisive diatribe we got today. All right, Sandy Rios with you. That was, a, that was an Australian reporter from Sky News. I just thought you would find that interesting. That is how the world Actually, at least part of the world is seeing what President Biden, how he presented it to the American people last Thursday night. No one's fooled by him. Uh, everyone understands what's happening here. And I would maintain that most people in the world who are rational thinkers are frightened because the United States has been that last bastion of freedom and hope. And it's a, it's a scary thing to think that we might be uh, succumbing to this something so Orwellian, so um uh, so, you know, Lord of the Flies, so, uh, you know, I, I could go on. Uh, George Orwell, the 1984 uh, communists. What, what is this, America? Are you kidding me? Can you imagine the despair? You know, Europe is just losing its grip. The energy costs are getting out of control, and they are becoming under subjection to the European Union, which is exerting a draconian control. Uh, things are falling apart for Europeans, especially bleak when they face this winter and these high prices. So, um, I, I just I just wanted you to hear that because I could tell you that, but you need to hear for yourself. Let me just show you. Uh, there's a poll about how Americans felt about what President Biden said last week. It's a a poll by Trafalgar. It's the Trafalgar Group, 
and they say that according to their poll, a majority of Americans, uh, overwhelmingly a majority of independents, uh, Republicans called and Republicans called Biden's primetime speech dangerous escalation in rhetoric. And they believe that it's inci- it's designed to incite conflict, which many of us do believe that. And that's the caution that goes out. Don't let them don't let them, you know, um, uh, incite us into what they will call our violence because they say we love violence. That's what President Biden told us last Thursday night. MAGA people who love the country and the Constitution don't love law and order. They like chaos and they love violence. So that's who we are, according to them. So we, we're not going to take the bait on that. Um, and But here's the, the flip side of this poll. Overwhelmingly, a majority of Democrats disagree. And they say that Biden's speech was acceptable election year messaging. Only 18% of Democrats think that the speech was dangerous and designed to incite conflict. I think that's kind of frightening. I really do. And um, I, I mean, I, get, I guess I get personal here. We, we, my husband and I were in the front yard yesterday, and we are in a neighborhood of uh, people who don't share our political views. Not everyone, but close to us, neighbors close to us. And uh, and then our neighbors came back um, and drove into their driveway very quickly and put down their <laughs> their garage door very quickly because uh, they didn't want to talk to us. That's kind of what we're experiencing. And can you imagine how much worse it is when they hear someone like President Biden accuse us of the things he's accusing us? And in people who don't think or don't read or maybe read only MSNBC or watch CNN or read the New York Times, this is how they feel. It has real repercussions. It creates real tension. It divides people. And it is so unfortunate. I want to talk to you about um, some of the races uh, that are uh, happening. We had uh, a race in Massachusetts yesterday. And this is interesting because uh, the governor, Massachusetts is an interesting state uh, because it's very, very liberal. It didn't used to be. Massachusetts was kind of the home of of a very strong, uh, the Puritan movement, the Pilgrims, uh, it was uh, a state that was, uh, its constitution reflects that. You should read it. It's really inspiring. But Massachusetts somewhere over the decades has become left of left of left, you know, uh, as bad as California, really, uh, especially on um, uh, gender issues, on homosexuality, first to pass gay marriage, uh, and the first to embrace uh, uh, civil unions and to really uh, implement that and fold it into the society so that it started having repercussions, arresting parents who were concerned about this. This was back uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, this was Massachusetts. So, But they've had a Republican governor for a long time. They had Mitt Romney. They had Char- Charlie Baker recently. Now, So they had a race to replace their governor, and it was a race between I don't know the other guy's name. I don't. That's not in this article for some reason. But uh, there were two Republicans vying for the in the primary, and one was the establishment pick, and the other was President Trump's pick. And yesterday, President Trump's pick, Jeff Deal, won. Uh, Jeff Deal is one who believes and says out loud that he believes the election was stolen, and so that's interesting. So he won the GOP uh, nomination for governor. There are a lot of people up there fighting. A lot of good people in Massachusetts who are fighting just like you and I are in our own places, but they've got a, they have a strong wind against them. So that's an interesting thing. Uh, also, um, in Senate races around the country, because, you know, most of the primaries are over, not quite all of them, uh, but, an, but analysts at the University of Virginia Center for Politics have moved the Senate races in Arizona and Pennsylvania from toss-up to leans Democratic. And that's not good. 
from toss-up to leans Democratic. That's Arizona and Pennsylvania. Uh, so I want to give you uh, an illustration here of what's happening. Now, in this in Arizona, Blake Masters is the candidate who won. He was President Trump's choice, uh, and he was last night on Laura Ingram. And I wanted you to hear what he had to say. This is clip two. Uh, Blake, uh, Chuck Coughlin, an Arizona-based GOP strategist, told Politico today that based on numbers that we have, Republicans have to make some kind of leap on the abortion issue because they're getting killed among women. Your response? You know, Laura, what I think we're seeing is propaganda. This is the media's desired narrative. They are trying to make this election all about abortion. The Democrats, Mark Kelly in Arizona, he wants to just talk about abortion because they don't want to talk about the wide open southern border. They don't want to talk about double digit inflation. They don't want to talk about how our kids are being taught transgender ideology in our schools. You know, they don't want to talk about their failure, so they're trying to gin up outrage on the abortion issue. And I just don't believe that that is going to be the issue uh, that voters have, you have top of mind. Have tweaked your view on abortion at all? I mean, there's a reference to you on the website that you might have tweaked. More, more propaganda. I've been consistent throughout the whole primary. I've always said, hey. What's your position? I think we should have gotten rid of uh, Roe v. Wade. Thank God the Supreme Court did that with Dobbs. That sends the issue back to the states where it mostly belongs. Now, I happen to believe the federal government does have a role. I think it should step in and ban extremely late-term abortions, right? But the pro-life, uh, we in the pro-life movement, we take the fight to the states. And I think that's where So you it believe in be. exceptions for the life of the mother? And- Absolutely. And Mark Kelly lies about that. But they have to lie because no. they have nothing good to run on themselves. All right. That was uh, actually encouraging to me because I didn't know a lot about Blake Masters and I was concerned that he had worked for Peter Thiel. I'm sure Peter has done some great things. He's a billionaire who supports President Trump, but he's a very pro-LGBT and he's known as not you know, wanting to weigh in on the social issues. And so I was really refreshed to hear that. So that's Blake Masters in Arizona. And, you know, Rick Scott has been trying to get Mitch McConnell to create a platform to give senators something to run on, and Mitch McConnell refuses. I've, um, Newt Gingrich has been trying to do the same thing. Uh, they would rather not say anything about anything, uh, because uh, be, and they would prefer, actually, to lose the Senate uh, than to, to have the Senate won by people that they cannot control, and that would include Blake Masters. And I want to read to you something. Rick Scott has really come out swinging. Hopefully he'll be our guest soon again. Um, I'm working on it. But um, this is what he said in an interview. He said, unfortunately, many of the very people responsible for losing the Senate last cycle are now trying to stop us from winning the majority this time by trash-talking our Republican candidate. Uh, He said it's an amazing act of cowardice, and ultimately it's treasonous to the conservative cause. Giving anonymous quotes to help the Washington Post or the New York Times write stories trashing Republicans is the same as working with the Democratic National Committee. Uh, and so I think he's right. Uh, maybe I'll come back to that later. But in, like, for instance, in Blake Masters' race in Arizona, McConnell has a super PAC that he backs, and they canceled about an eight million dollar, uh, eight million dollars worth of ad buys in Arizona uh, against Mark Kelly. And Mark Kelly is a left of the leftist. He is. He's he's no moderate. He's very much on the left. He always votes with the leftist Democrats. And so uh, Houston, we have a problem. And so. That takes us then to Pennsylvania, where Dr. Oz is running. I'm no fan of Dr. Oz, but this is politics, and you have to choose the person that you think will help the best to help this nation survive. And John Fetterman is the opponent. John is a um, he is another outrageous leftist who's won the Democratic nomination. He had, I believe, it was a heart attack that's kept him off the campaign trail. He did 
try an appearance for the first time in a, quite a while, just uh, just a few days ago. And this is what he sounded like. This is pretty scary. Clip 11. What is wrong with demanding for an easy, safe kind of their income, a path to a safe place for them to win, or excuse me, to, to work. So he, he can't put his words together. It's really sad. I, I think it's really sad, but, uh, but it's also it would be very sad if he got elected. Dr. Oz is no prince from my perspective, but you have to choose. Uh, so Dr. Oz, out in Pennsylvania right now, uh, in the polls, Trump, in polls between Trump and Biden, Trump is leading 47 to Biden's 40. Uh, Trump leads with independence by uh, 21 points. Uh, and that was as of uh, September the 1st. So, you know, what does that mean? I don't know if that means that Oz is going to win. I know that Pennsylvanians were pretty upset that he won that nomination, that not happy that President Trump endorsed him uh, when they, they felt they had a better candidate. Nevertheless, that's the choice in Pennsylvania. And then uh, there are other few a few other comments about the election coming up. Uh, Trafalgar Group also weighed in on this, uh, and uh, Robert Cahaley is with Trafalgar Group. He says, folks, I know that Georgia, Washington, and New York, the poll numbers are surprising, but we at Trafalgar Group have seen a big shift in favor of non-incumbents since Biden announced his student loan forgiveness package. No other issue in this cycle has enraged middle and working class voters more than this. Isn't that interesting? A lot, of, a lot of issues, whether it's the abortion issue, a lot of people argue over what's going to swing it. It depends on geographically where you are. This is from Scott Pressler, and I think this is something to think about. He says, I think there will be a wave. I don't think there will be a red wave, but maybe a trickle. Except uh, Arizona, Florida, Nevada, it isn't looking good. People tell me I would give, give up everything for this country. But those same people won't knock on doors or become Election Day workers. Unless you do something, I see no wave. And I think he's right about that. It's a good reminder. It's certainly not meant for me for shaming. It's just that it is the time. It's a time for choosing. It's a time for rolling up your sleeves. We are in a battle for the soul. And Oh, President Biden says he's in a battle for the soul of the country. Uh, but it's a very dark battle, and we would not want the soul that the picture that he's painted. It's just dreadful. This is a fight. It's a really a spiritual fight, too. And so what can you do about these upcoming elections? Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. If you are 65 or older, you know this. It's really frustrating to deal with out-of-pocket medical expenses, watching your hard-earned dollars just flying out the window. Well, here's something that can really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into MediShare has a new option called MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's healthcare bills, and it really is a community. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65+, Plus is a low-cost option for those with Medicare Parts A and B that fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. It's great for peace of mind. And you can use your Medicare-approved doctor and get prescription savings, dental and vision savings, very worth looking into, and it's so easy to find out why people rave about the customer service at MediShare. They're great to talk to on the phone. Here's the number. Call 833-45-BIBLE. That's 833-45-BIBLE. 833-45-BIBLE. 
This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down each day from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Dennis McDonough, United States Secretary of Veterans Affairs. His office oversees veterans' benefits, health care, and national veterans' memorials and cemeteries. 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18 reminds us of the importance of caring for others. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, we ask for guidance for Dennis McDonough as he leads the VA. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. This is an important election year in your state and all across the country. And we're joining together to pray the vote. Details at pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Stern. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make a switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. There is great anger and anguish in Memphis, Tennessee, my hometown. A teacher kidnapped during an early morning run. Her name was Eliza Fletcher, 34 years old, a wife and mother with two small boys, a teacher at St. Mary's Episcopal School. Her body was found late Sunday night. The man accused of the horrific crime had just been released from prison. He had been serving time for another kidnapping some 20 years ago. The man was set free early because he went through some classes and therapy. Had he served out the full 24 years, Mrs. Fletcher would still be alive. We not only have a crime problem in America, we have a justice problem. Criminals know that George Soros district attorneys and activist judges will always capitulate. But when that happens, innocent people die like Eliza Fletcher. Maybe it's time for a new law on the books. When a predator commits a crime, the DAs and judges who set him free should also be charged. I'm Todd Stearns. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Getter or email Sandy at sandy at AFR.net. That's sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. He always looks at everything as mine or mine. My general, my Kevin, my classified documents, my judges. Apparently he's got one. This is kind of, you know, a grafted on solution at the end that looks like, unfortunately, it's designed to try and protect their guy or at least delay justice from being reached. It is striking how this judge has created this exception suggesting that Trump should be given more deference than really any other, you know, person who is facing an investigation gets in this country. How do the two sides even agree on who a special master is going to be, who has a, who has the security clearances for this? It's it's a wild decision. He's out there saying, I'm going to delay this process. And that's what he's doing with this special master. It's a classic Trump delay. The former president is likely to say again that he's going to be a candidate for the presidency, at which point his claim will be, will the Biden Department of Justice is just going after me because I'm his opponent. It just seems so out of the ordinary. And I don't think it really helps with people's confidence if you have special rules for somebody. It, it mm. isn't the case that because you're the former president, you get 
more justice, you should get equal justice. He shouldn't be treated worse, but he shouldn't be treated better. She's biased and corrupt. Like, I don't know what to tell everybody anymore. Like, I've, I've been saying this since he took office. When you allow Republicans to control the courts, you get nothing. Trump judges do not believe in the rule of law. They do not believe in precedent. They do not believe in facts. They do not believe in logic. They just believe in whatever is going to help Donald Trump. And they've proven it again and again and again. So So there is the Trump. There is the pot calling the kettle black. Of course, he's describing exactly what the left does. He's talking about the judge, Judge Eileen Cannon, uh, who appointed the special master to stop Uh, the Justice Department in their tracks from uh, further investigating what was in those boxes. Although most of us believe uh, that cat is out of the bag. I'm sure they photographed everything, including his, what, 30 years of medical records? It's disgraceful what happened at the Mar-a-Lago raid. But that little uh, display just then, that was a montage put together by Fox, also reminds me of another story this morning that PBS is doing a frontline documentary. And the frontline documentary is uh, an examination of former President Donald Trump's lies. Now, remember, public broadcasting is paid for by your tax dollars and mine. We fund them. And that's the kind of unbiased reporting they do. Of course, they don't do unbiased reporting. But that's what your neighbors, that's why my neighbors rushed into their garage and didn't want to talk to my husband and I in the yard yesterday because we are, you know, insurrectionists uh, or whatever else, fill in the blanks. This is a dangerous, dangerous time. Uh, and uh, we're going, we talk about this stuff every day. We're going to continue this morning. But I have a guest, and I'm happy to have a guest this morning. He's been with us before. It's John Zadrozny. He's the deputy director of the investigation of Investigations for America First Legal. And John, I have to say, first of all, welcome and good morning. Okay, all right. Well, he'll be back. All right, we've got we're in brand new studios this morning. So if we have a few, this is our first wrinkle. So if we have another wrinkle, just be patient. Uh, but let me just tell you, this is funny because when I was looking up John's bio. Uh, I, w- <laughs> I came across, this thing came right up. Google is so helpful, you know, to give you a good bio for conservatives. And so this thing popped up called Trump All-Stars, and it's telling us about John Zadrozny. And, and this is what it says. Zadrozny worked in the White House shop that reported to Stephen Miller, Trump's virulently anti-immigration advisor who's considered the chief architect behind some of the administration's most controversial policies. It was Miller who advised Trump on his travel ban, executive order, and policy of separating parents and children trying to cross into the United States. And it goes on and on. Uh, before joining the Trump administration, of course, this is supposed to be bad, Zdrozny worked as a counsel to Senator Ted Cruz and for the Senate Committee on Foreign Relations. Okay. So I, 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 was, I enjoyed reading that because it told me more things about John. Uh, and, of course, they meant it for bad, but it actually, for me, was very good. John, are you with us now? Morning, Sandy. Can you hear me? I can hear you now. Yes, I can. Okay, great. <laughs> You know, John, I, you missed it. I was just saying, I, I, when I, I was looking for a good bio for you, and Google is so helpful, you know, so up pops this Trump All-Stars website, and you're on that. And, of course, it, t- it talks about you work for that Stephen Miller person who, you know, s- you know, formed Trump's immigration policies, and you work for that Senator Ted Cruz. And it goes on and on. It's just really fun. I enjoyed that. That was a good bio. It helped me a lot. <laughs> Sandy, aren't you aren't you struck by the, the all the two minute hate websites that pop up when you look up someone from the Trump administration? It's really kind of funny, and I take it as a badge of honor. It means uh, they were worried about us, and they should have been. 
<laughs> yes. Well, uh, yes. Well, you know what? And I ha- I'm a personal recipient of that kind of uh, reporting, too, because all since I was at CWA in Washington, D.C., and uh, preparing on television, uh, you know, you find all kinds of... If you look me up online, you know, you wouldn't want anything to do with me. So we're, we're, we're partners in this. This is a good thing. But, John, yes, I just inter- introduced you as the Deputy Director of Investigations for America First Legal, and we've talked before, but it's been a long time. So let's talk about America First Legal. Uh, I think people are crying out for attorneys who will defend conservatives. So it sounds like that's what you're doing. Can you kind of explain to us what the plan is here and what you guys are doing? Absolutely. So um, uh, America First Legal is uh, basically engaged in a lot of litigation across different areas um, it, with, for several reasons. One is uh, one direction we've got is to make sure that the, the Biden administration um, remains transparent and honest. Obviously, that's a heavy lift because they're not. Um, they're neither transparent nor honest, and that's pretty obvious with everything they do. So we've been engaged in quite a few lawsuits against them in conjunction with some state attorneys general and other parties. Uh, but there's also this whole other wing of work we do, which is um, we're, we're involved in a lot of private litigation with uh, you know private citizens who are coming to us saying, hey, uh, my school district uh, is corrupt and they're using woke materials, but they won't let me look at them and they won't let me write down the notes about what's in there. And um, we've got a lot of different lawsuits on those fronts. Um, We've also got an entire wing of FOIA work we do. And FOIA, Freedom of Information Act requests are pretty standard, Sandy. A lot of your audience is probably familiar with them. Um, Other groups like Judicial Watch do those. But what what we've done also is um, there's just been so much out there that we try and be sort of rapid fire with the issues, and then when they don't turn over the documents like they should, and it won't surprise you to learn they're also really not following the law with respect to FOIA most of the time, we're in court making sure that that the documents get provided to the American people. So we've got quite a bit going on. We're very active. Um, You know, we're trying our best, and uh, I think we are a result of an absence of organizations like ours in this space for years. I mean, I know from working with and for Stephen for years, we used to talk every day, and he would say, you know, there's no... The left has it down pat. They have 50 organizations, all of whom are funded by George Soros. They're awash in money. They have a, a revolving door with federal liberal officials who just, they leave the federal government and they come in and work for them. And they never have any problems constantly suing a Republican administration to just bog things down. And so um, our goal is not to bog things down, but because we're by ourselves with a couple of other organizations that sue on a few different fronts, we're, we're making sure that they're, they're as honest as we can make them in the public sphere with the help of the judiciary. So um, that's it in a nutshell. There's a lot going on. There's always more going on. And if anyone wants to come see what we're doing, please come visit us at aflegal.org. That's aflegal.org. And if you've got a tip, let us know. Okay. Uh, so uh, in a nutshell, would you say that your, your your focus, I mean, it'd be exclusive, is kind of holding this administration accountable by, you know, checking them lawsuits, following what they're doing, and checking them, checks and balances as best you can, more than it is like, well, you are defending parents, you said, uh, that are having uh, the government come after them for, you know, protesting at school boards and so forth. You're doing things like that. Yeah, it, it's not just one thing. We're trying to we're trying to fill a lot of voids, uh, and those are the two biggest ones, I think. You know, for yeah, I'll give you a concrete example, Sandy. So last summer we sued um, when the Biden administration we sued in conjunction with several state attorneys general uh, when the Biden administration was trying to get rid of the migrant protection protocols or MPP, otherwise known as Remain in Mexico. Uh, they were trying to get rid of Title Forty Two, which was the health uh, order that. Trump, President Trump instituted to prevent illegal aliens from crossing the border. It gave the 
they can just turn them around. Now, to some degree, those are things the executive branch can do, but they were trying to cut corners and do them through memos and emails and stuff. And we, we went to court with the AGs, and we said, no, no, you have to do this through a rulemaking. Uh, and we forced them to uh, address the issues in a, in a certain way. And we haven't won every case. I mean, I, would, I don't want to paint it as if we've been uh, 100% victorious in court, but I think the reality is having the fights uh, are the most important thing. Sometimes our side refuses to get involved in anything. I mean, the royal hour, you know, Republicans don't want to get involved with anything unless they're guaranteed a result. Um, and also, not to mention, you brought it up a little bit before, Sandy, when you mentioned that there are, uh, there are some scared attorneys out there. Uh, we don't have a really strong cabal of conservative attorneys who want to fight for the Constitution, who even really understand it. Uh, and the current administration is doing a really good job, unfortunately, of scaring people away from being legal representatives of people who deserve help. I mean, I always think that I'm a history major, an amateur student of history as well. And, I always think back about how John Adams represented the British soldiers who were accused of murder in the Boston Massacre. Like, if you couldn't think of a more um, a more zealous advocacy, but neutral on result on act, the um, behavior of an attorney, that to me is always sort of the pinnacle of what an attorney should do. They should always offer a client a zealous representation. It doesn't mean you embrace everything. But the Biden administration and their allies in the private sector are trying their best to make sure. Any lawyer who dare goes near someone who was involved in January 6th or is working for Donald Trump will never get another client again. And um, it's a really dangerous thing that's happening to the legal profession. So anyway, we're trying our best. You know, we're, we're punching above our weight and we're having a lot of fun. Yeah, uh, well, I'm, it's it's encouraging to people because I think of people that I know that we interview. I think of John Eastman. I think of so many that have paid such a price and they're after them with a vengeance, like like rabid dogs trying to destroy them in their practice. And if they're law professors, get them kicked out of universities and they're having good success. And I'm, I'm guessing that your door is being knocked on a lot by people that are looking for a place to serve. But let's get, get on to some substance here. Uh, Mar-a-Lago, um, we've talked about this a lot, so my audience is <laughs> hopefully remembers the things we've talked about. Um, and we know that the Judge Eileen Cannon appointed a special master just a couple of days ago. But the Washington Post now this morning, John, I don't know if you saw this, but they, you know, they stepped up to the plate uh, to, um, uh, to you know, do their part in uh, making their excuses for the FBI. And they're claiming now that they have retrieved documents detailing foreign governments, military defenses, and nuclear capabilities uh, they say a slew of documents obtained at the August 8th raid contain top-secret content that only the president, the cabinet members, and near-cabinet-level members are authorized to have knowledge of, uh, sources told the Washington Post. The FBI searched Trump's home in, a, in part to find classified documents relating to nuclear weapons. Um, and then it says the FBI obtained 11 sets of classified documents, around 300 in total, four sets of top-secret information, three sets of secret, and three more sets of confidential. I could go on and on. I'm just trying to sort of give you a flavor. Um, so they are you know, pushing back to insist that the FBI's raid was legitimate, and President Trump has these nuclear secrets. I just would love to know what your thoughts are about, about that first. Well, uh, Sandy, I think they're they're trying to re- resurrect that panicky meme they started when the documents were first seized back around the eighth of August. Um, I think what we're the one thing I think about that is I, I, I I'll, I'd like to see the documents, and I'm going to wait and see. Obviously, they're they're very sensitive, and they're not going to show the public, which is awfully convenient for their case. Um, but I, I think that there's 
a lot of material there that I think is going to be at a heart, the heart of a future separation of powers battle, Sandy. And what I mean by that is this. They went in, they seized everything. I, my opinion is that they were trying to get back things they didn't want out in public, and it has nothing to do with any real sense of national security. And it begs the question, if they were so concerned about the security of these documents and the nature of these documents, how come this raid happened on August 8, 2022? How come it happened 19 months after President Trump left office? How come it happened four days after the warrant was issued? If it was so gosh darn important, why weren't they immediately going to get those documents? And I think that's because it has nothing to do with those documents. Maybe those documents are there, maybe not. We may never know. Um, I think what it has to do is has to do with is a fight over whether we actually care about Article 2 in the U.S. Constitution anymore. And whether when a president says, I've declassified documents, uh, that that's it. It's not a question of just some, some low-level guy at the Department of Defense or National Archives file the right paperwork and finish the act. The act is done when the president orders them declassified. And I have a funny feeling that a lot of what the FBI went to seize has nothing to do with nuclear secrets or foreign country capabilities. It has everything to do with Russiagate and a lot of embarrassing stuff for the complete corruption of the Department of Justice and the FBI. And um, I don't know if we're ever, I don't know if we will ever find that out. But that's why Judge Cannon's order was pretty reasonable. I think I, I heard all the, you know, the the apoplectic arm waving of the liberal commenters uh, during that montage you had in the beginning, and you you beat me to it. You said this is what they do, not what we do, and it's exactly true. It's they, the left is engages in what's called projection. If they're saying we're doing something, they're absolutely doing it. It's terrifying because they're talking about what they're doing out loud. Mm-hmm. And they're all saying the judge is off the rails, she's radical, blah, blah, blah. All she said was there's going to be a neutral third party who's going to maintain the documents and go through them to determine whether or not some of the documents are either uh, attorney-client privileged, which means they have to be returned to Donald Trump, uh, or they are uh, executive privileged documents. Uh, and they may be returned to Donald Trump. There's a dispute about whether or not Donald Trump can maintain executive privilege when the current occupant of the White House, Joe Biden, had waived executive privilege for a former president. That by itself is kind of unprecedented. To my knowledge, current president has never waived the executive privilege of a former president because they're terrified of that happening to them, so they don't do it, and they all kind of play along. I gotta yeah. jump in because of the music. We gotta take a break here. What when we get, but that we heard all of that, and uh, that's that's a whole interesting. And the judge weighed in on that whole executive privilege thing, which was very interesting. But I, when we come back, I want to play a comment by Andy McCarthy for you and get your comments. Uh, he actually thinks that the Justice Department has stepped in it. That's basically what he's going to say. And it would be interesting to get your response to what he has to say. My guest is John Zdrozny, the director of America First Legal. We'll be right back. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. As a parent, it can be so easy to let the hard days kind of steal your peace and make it difficult to recognize the good in your children. On the next Focus on the Family, Ashley Willis shares encouragement and hope for moms who are struggling to find joy in parenting. That's next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. The AFA Resource Center has all your favorite items. Everything from books, movies, shirts, and even hats. Introducing AFA's polyester and twill hats, starting at just $18. Whether you're into fashion, a collector, or you're just having a bad hair day, these hats are just what you need. You can buy one for yourself or a friend. Purchase your AFA hat today at resources.afa.net. 
And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. My name is Abraham Hamilton III and this is the Hamilton Minute. The 128th Psalm explains that it is the individual who's been transformed by the power of God who then builds the transformed family. Transformed families build transformed churches. Transformed churches build transformed communities. And transformed communities impact the broader society. The way forward in America is repentance and living locally. Focus intensely on your families, your local church, and your local community. What goes on in your house is far more important than what happens in the White House. Great Commission execution must begin in Jerusalem. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. The following is not an actor, but a real-life story from Trinity Debt Management. The credit card debt happened when my daughter was born. I was using one credit card account to roll over into another credit card account, and it was snowballing. If you're in debt and you need help, call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. When I first called Trinity, the representative understood the need based on the situation. There were great people to work with. From the first phone call that I made, they had me on on a track to mitigate the credit card debt. Trinity will consolidate your accounts into one easy-to-manage monthly payment, reduce your interest, and possibly improve your credit score. You'll save thousands. Working with Trinity gave me the ability to save thousands of dollars. My name's Doug, and thanks to Trinity, I'm debt-free for keeps. Call Trinity at 1-800-788-1813. That's 1-800-788-1813. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. It's no longer debatable that energy policy involves more than the sources of electric power countries or American states utilize to keep their consumers warm, cool, fed, or employed. It's a matter of life and death. For example, soaring temperatures in California are poised to precipitate rolling blackouts, and that's before everyone there will depend on electricity for transportation. If heat prostration doesn't take its toll, power disruption of vital services will. Meanwhile, Europe will freeze this winter due to the knock-on effects of the war in Ukraine and reckless decisions by politicians to go green. We can no longer ignore the imperative of enhancing the resiliency of our electric grid and the reliability of our energy supplies. Those who pretend otherwise are on notice that if they persist in endangering both, they will be held responsible for the resulting carnage. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Trump team, and it's a potentially explosive ruling if it holds. I would imagine uh, it's important enough that the government will appeal this immediately. But, you know, in a nutshell, what happened here is the Justice Department assumed that Trump only had attorney client privilege, that he did not have executive privilege, or at least to the limited extent that as a former president he maintains executive privilege, it can't be asserted against the executive branch itself. And it's one thing for the government to have that theory. I think that actually uh, may be a sound theory. But the problem is it's, it's not 100% settled. So I thought it was incumbent on them to get a ruling from the court 
on that question before they hauled off and did what they did, which was have the privilege team go through all of the seized documents, assuming that Trump only had attorney-client privilege, and then allowing all of the potentially executive privilege documents to go to the prosecution team, uh, which, if it turns out that they're privileged, that could taint the prosecutors who reviewed them, and it could also taint their investigation because they're now conducting an investigation. Remember, this, this, they got these documents two weeks ago, uh, and they've had these documents the prosecution team has for about a week. So, you know, they've been merrily along conducting their investigation with the agents, assuming all these documents were appropriate for the investigation. Now the judge is saying, hold everything. He may have executive privilege. All right. That was uh, uh, Andy McCarthy. Andy's been a longtime friend. It's not like him to say anything favorable about Trump lately in the last several years. So that's pretty amazing. And I don't necessarily want to talk about the the, the weeds of what the, the things he said about the legal process and executive privilege. But the point is, he says he thinks the Justice Department might have stepped in it and even to the point where perhaps uh, I'm going to use the term, you know, food, that whatever they find might be the fruit of the poisonous tree because of the investigation. So John Zadrozny, who is with America First Legal, is with me. What are your thoughts about what Andy just said, John? Yeah, Sandy, I think that the overall response, like there's a lot of detail there, which we don't need to get into. But I think the basic way to say it is I think he's right. I think the reality is what Judge Cannon did was said, time out. There are a lot of documents here which may not have been appropriately seized. And the Department of Justice and FBI were tripping over themselves to go through everything in the hopes of what you might say a rushed investigation leading to a rushed criminal indictment. Uh, but Judge Cannon's decision basically says, I'm out. We're going to look through everything. We're going to have an independent third party evaluate for both the attorney-client privilege issue and the executive privilege issue. And if we find that those documents are, are not uh, of those two categories, then you can use whatever's left over for your potential criminal investigation. Uh, I suspect the attorney-client privilege thing won't be a big deal, but the executive privilege thing would be litigated for years. I feel like that's going to be in law students' constitutional casebooks for years after this. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, like, the, a lot of those documents may not be validly seized and therefore may not be validly usable for a criminal investigation. And that's exactly what the Department of Justice doesn't want. I also find it funny that if they really wanted to get to the bottom of what Trump was doing and investigate him for potential criminal wrongdoing, they would have. To, I just don't see a, a problem with wanting or being okay with a special master. The person is really just supervising the review. All of it will be documented. The problem is they won't be able to disappear things behind the scenes uh, without external supervision. And that's what they want. They want the ability to make documents go away, like Hunter Biden's laptop and oh. uh, the 10% for the big guy. Yeah. So they can't, they can't bear to have someone external with sunshine involved. Uh, but really, that's all that it would mean. And yes, it might mean they can't pursue the criminal prosecution because they were using inappropri inappropriately seized documents or documents that are not relevant. So um, I, I don't know how this is going to shake out, Sandy, but I think Mr. McCarthy was 100 percent right. And uh, I think we're going to find a lot of what they took is really not something they can use in a potential criminal investigation against Donald Trump. Now, here's another twist that I just read this morning. Uh, so that I, I've heard this, but I haven't heard I haven't thought about it put, being put together quite like this. Uh, they they are now talking about pursuing obstruction of justice charges against President Trump. And the uh, the Ed Morrissey of Hot Air is sort of floating the idea that the reason they're doing that is because the the similarities between what they're accusing President Trump of and what actually Hillary Clinton actually did, which was take classified information over 
public server, make put it in danger, highly classified stuff, um, and destroying her devices after that, by the way, that rather than allow for that comparison, they would get off the track a little bit to avoid it and charge him with obstruction. How in the world could they charge him with obstruction? I mean, how do you see that? Uh, what would that look like? Sandy, that's a great question, because from everything we've seen, both from filings and just from public public, public domain commentary, cooperative, they may not have gotten things as quickly, but my understanding is it was, it was a very civil engagement between Trump's uh, legal team and the federal government up until the raid. And in some of the filings President's team has put out since then, it shows, look, we were working with them, we were turning things over, they turned over whole boxes, but no good deed goes unpunished. My theory, Sandy, is that um, this is what happens in tyrannies, right? When they, when they don't want to come right out and say, we're going to destroy uh, the legal system for people we don't like, they're not going to do that because there's a huge political cost even among people who would normally support them. But then they do things like they come up with crazy charges like obstruction of justice when there's really no foundation for obstruction of justice. They torture attorneys who would represent these people to undermine the ability of a defendant to get an attorney. And they do these things. They erode the system in a way they're not doing but they really absolutely are. And I think that's what that's about. But, you know, honestly, I don't think they're going to get away with it. I do think, like you said, Mr. McCarthy said that DOJ basically stepped in it because they're basically going to have to think about this. They're going to have to endure a criminal trial where they're going to have Exhibit A, who is Donald Trump and all of the engagements he had with the Department of Justice and what he turned over and how there were no issues, there were no lost materials, compared with Exhibit B, which is Hillary Clinton, who had a private server in her bathroom with 30,000 emails she was probably voluntarily sharing with foreign intelligence, and then destroyed devices with hammers and bleach bit when it came to public light. Like, there's no comparison between the two. Yeah, uh, I, but, but I, I also think deep down, Sandy, we're having a, this is a real fight about separation of powers and what the president's authorities are. Like, I think the left is really excited to have the government under their control, but when they're not in control, they don't like the idea that a president runs the executive branch when it's not their guy. Yeah, and well, of course. The, yeah. I think this uh, is a long-running battle. We're going to see more about this coming soon. Well, I have a last question for you. Uh, Steve Bannon is uh, going to have to surrender to prosecutors in New York this morning. He's facing a fresh criminal indictment. They, they tried this in the federal courts. I think President Trump pardoned him, as I understand it, if that's an accurate telling. And uh, now the uh, courts in New York are going are coming after him. Uh, and he's, of course, uh, saying they're, they're, they'll have to kill him before they'll have to actually kill him before they'll get him to, to change his views on the things that he says. But it is still a real blow and also very, you know, it's just not it's not no big deal. It's a very big deal. So I think of Stephen Miller. I think of you guys in that law firm. Have you guys felt the hot breath of the federal government yet? Uh, no, no, we really haven't. And we, we uh, this is what happens in tyranny, Sandy. They go, they find new charges, right? What Stalin's advisor once said: "Show me the man, and I'll show you the crime." Yes. Um, after Steve Bannon has been through this entire rigmarole against him and came out essentially clean, they're going after him again, and they're going to go after him again. And this is all about preventing people who think, who actually like America, you know, not Democrats, uh, from working for a future Republican president again. Because if they can intimidate enough good people to stay away from a Republican president and help them in their administration, it's going to be easier to slow it down and stop it. And so I just, you know, I see silver linings in all of, all of these very dark moments. And I think one of the silver linings is you're going to see a lot of strong people say, I'm not afraid, I haven't done anything wrong, and I'm looking forward to helping out in the future. You know, I saw Paul Manafort, and he looked great. I think Tucker Carlson interviewed him last week. And I'm not saying, I don't know anything about Paul. He could be 
guilty of things. I'm not saying he's innocent, but boy, he certainly was over uh, uh, over punished for whatever it was he they were alleging that he did. And I thought I thought he was going to die, and he survived this, and now he's talking. So I, that was encouraging to me, as dreadful as his ordeal was. But uh, John, we wish you guys every we just wish you God's protection. To be frank, and uh, America First Legal is at aflegal.org, aflegal.org. And John, uh, we'll talk again soon. I hope. I appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sandy. Take care. Okay, you too. Talk to you soon. All right, I had a couple of other things I wanted to share with you this morning because the uh, the, the director, let's see, the White House COVID director, Dr. Ashish Jha, had, a, had something for us. He had a comment yesterday. We have a new COVID shot, and he wanted to sort of explain it to you. This is clip four. Let's listen. So here's the simple version. If you're 12 and above and previously vaccinated, it's time to go get an updated COVID-19 shot. Now, here are a couple of caveats because there are always a few caveats. If you got a recent infection or were recently vaccinated, it's reasonable to wait a few months. Now, we expect millions of people to get the shot this month as folks get back to school, get back to work, and get back into their regular routines after the summer. And as the annual flu vaccination campaign kicks into high gear later this month and into early October, we expect millions will choose to get their COVID-19 shot at the same time. Or over the course of the fall, when people go in for routine checkups. The good news is you can get both your flu shot and COVID shot at the same time. It's actually a good idea. I really believe this is why God gave us two arms, one for the flu shot and the other one for the COVID shot. Well, that's comforting, uh, you know, and I'm I'm convinced, aren't you, that you need to rush out right now and get a new COVID shot, all of you, right now, another one. I don't care if you've been boosted, double vaxxed, it's time for another one. And you've got two arms, you can get a shot in both arms. You know, do they think we're stupid? I guess maybe they do, and I guess maybe many of us are, uh, because I'm reading such horrific things about the effects of these vaccines, and so I'm going to go on record. I have, uh, In the early days of this, I was trying to be neutral on the vaccine, uh, because we weren't quite sure. But I'm not neutral anymore. I am not neutral anymore. If you get that vaccine, you're out of your mind. If you have your children vaccinated right now, you're out of your mind. The funeral director for Tasmania uh, that was posted by um, Pierre Corey, Dr. Corey, just last week, and we played it twice now, I think, uh, where he talks about just in the last seven months, uh, the funerals that they're doing in his practice have gone up 50%. And he's seeing people die of all, you know, born in the 60s, born in the 70s and earlier. They're not old people. Uh, they're dying of various things. And there's another report this morning. This is from uh, the Epoch Times. And I want to share with, with you as much as I can. It's a long article. And I didn't get to read it all. I wish I had. I like to read all of everything, but I can't always. But embalmers have been finding numerous long, fibrous clots that lack post-mortem characteristics. Uh, and let me, uh, uh, to try to make this easy, we have tested one of the clots from embalmer Richard Hirschman. He found that the clots are lacking key elements present in healthy human blood, such as iron, potassium, magnesium, suggesting that they are formed from something other than blood. So what are these? Uh, they're, they're string-like structures in different sizes. The longest can be as long as a human leg, and the thickest can be as thick as a pinky finger. Prior to 2020, 2021, we, Dr. Hirschman says, we probably would see somewhere between 5 and 10% of the bodies that we would embalm 
having blood clots. We are familiar with what blood clots are, and we've had to deal with them over time. He says that now 50 to 70% of the bodies that he sees have these clots. Now, I want to jump ahead about 10 pages. Um, at the vaccination status of these pe- the deceased people, the funeral house, uh, it says, sometimes knows the vaccination status of the deceased person and tells him. Sometimes it may also be that the person got vaccinated and did not tell the family. And uh, Hirschman says, I had a 49-year-old, was totally healthy, getting ready for work, collapses, dead. Next thing you know, I'm embalming him, and guess what I'm pulling out of him? The same stuff, same stuff. He was totally fine, totally healthy, shocked everybody. Find out, oh yeah, not only was he vaccinated, he was boosted. Hirschman also said that he found the same stuff in a man who had a stroke while sleeping and died of cancer. I spoke with an embalmer in Louisiana, and she said the same thing. Sometimes they're not huge. There are other varieties of anomalies. Some of them were small. Sometimes they're little specks like pieces of sand or coffee grounds. And uh, there's a whole lot more to that story. Uh, you may remember, this has been a long time. It's been over a year, but there was a a doctor in the western suburbs of Chicago, and since that's my home turf, uh, I, I re- it just really caught my eye. And uh, he talked about, he was doing x-ray of some of the pe- the th- blood he had examined from people who had taken the vaccines, vaccines, and they described metal pieces and little structures in there that didn't make sense. Don't listen to this doctor, Dr. Ashish Jha, who's laughing about you having two arms for two vaccinations. Don't get your children vaccinated. It's uh, It's dangerous. It's just dangerous. We have yet to see who the number of deaths that are going to happen from this and injuries. I'm going to be talking with Daniel Horowitz on Friday. He has a new book about this. He's calling it The Fourth Reich about the atrocities of the COVID shot compared to the Holocaust in Nazi Germany. The numbers are far greater than anything the Nazis ever did. So it's an interesting discussion. I hope that you'll stay tuned. All right, thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show and talk to you tomorrow. By the way, tomorrow, Senator Ron Johnson will be our guest. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.